Welcome to We Built This Life. I'm your host, Jennifer Walker, and this is the podcast that mainly tells stories about entrepreneurs and small business owners and how they built their working lives from the ground up. This is episode 25, which focuses on Nina Ross, the owner of the Baltimore City-based business, Nina's Cookie Explosion. Thank you so much for listening today. Hi there, and welcome to episode 25. I'm Jennifer Walker, and it's very exciting for me to have someone in the food industry on the show today. In this case, as you heard, it's Nina Ross from Nina's Cookie Explosion. You know, a long time ago, I used to want to be a pastry chef. When I was living in New York, I toured a few culinary schools, and one of them was the French Culinary Institute. And they had this woman who worked for them She had gone through the pastry program and was writing a blog for them or some kind of online content. This was years ago, whatever we did 15 years ago or more. And she was writing about pastry and about the baking world. And I was trying to tell the person who was giving me a tour of the school that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted the pastry knowledge, but I wanted to write about it. So in the end, I decided that it maybe didn't make much sense for me to pay to study the pastry arts if writing was my goal in the end anyway. But I still really love to hear stories about people who work in food, particularly in baking and pastry. And that's why I'm so excited to talk to Nina for this episode today. So Nina founded Nina's Cookie Explosion in September of 2020. And of course, we all remember what was going on during that year. So you'll hear more about that story. Nina offers make-your-own doughs and cookies, as well as a menu of cookies that can be ordered. She has cookie jars for the holidays, she does a dough of the month every month, and she donates 10% of the sales from that particular dough to a different nonprofit each month. So in this episode, Nina is going to talk about how she developed a love for baking, and cookies in particular, and how she got Nina's cookie explosion off the ground, of course. And a lot of people who come on this show also talk about balance. Nina will as well. She works full-time in addition to running her business, and she, up until recently, she was in school as well. So she's going to talk about how she manages her time and balances everything. Nina will also talk about markets. Markets are a big part of her business. She does a couple markets a week, and it can take a lot of time to get ready for them, but Nina also finds them to be really fun, so she'll talk about that process. She'll also talk about how she has had to put herself out there to build relationships and collaborations to get her cookies in stores as another aspect of her business. And then, as always, Nina will touch on the challenges, the successes she has experienced, and what she wishes she knew when she started her business. I do also want to mention that I interviewed Nina in August, so long ago. So things are always changing for small businesses. This is a look at Nina's business in that moment in time. So that gives you a good background on Nina Ross and Nina's cookie explosion and where this conversation is going to go. Let's get into Nina Ross's story. Nina Ross's interest in cookies goes back to her childhood and the fond memories she has of the cookie parties that her family used to throw every year around this time of year. Yeah, so we usually had the cookie parties. It was every year. It was always around Christmas time, December. And they were usually at my parents' house. We would switch it up sometimes, but for the most part, it was at my parents' house. So it started with my mom and her friends and then their children, including me. And as the years went on, more friends were invited. The children kind of grew up and 
start inviting their friends and they would make their own families. So it became a really big event. So we used to make cookies at the parties, but as the crowd got larger, we only had, you know, a standard oven. So (laughs) we had to start doing it as kind of like a cookie exchange. So everybody would bring their cookies, bake them at home and bring them to the party. These cookie parties had every cookie you could really imagine. So there was always like the classics, the chocolate chip, the oatmeal raisin, the oatmeal scotchy, chocolate. We always had like sugar ones that the kids could decorate and give them something to do. And as the parties got bigger, we didn't really want everyone to bring chocolate chip cookies. Uh, So we told everyone to get creative with like kind of like their favorite things that they like in cookies and desserts and stuff like that. So even like the last time we had a party, which was in 2019 because of COVID, we even had a competition for like most creative and tastiest cookie. People would make like crazy ones. Well, now I don't think they're as crazy because of my business, but but, like uh, red velvet, salted caramel, like just these crazy combos. And yeah, it was just an event we looked forward to every year. And for some of the people there, it was the only time in the year that we would see them. So it was just really nice to catch up. And it's such a fond memory of my childhood. And even now when I eat cookies, I think of the cookie parties. Yeah. Isn't it funny how cookies can do that? I had a tradition of making cookies with my grandmother. We would stay over Thanksgiving night and we would make Italian cookies, which are like these rolled iced cookies on Friday morning. And that is such like a cherished memory. Now, every time I make them, I think about that, like making them with her. Did you have a certain cookie you were famous for that you used to like to make before your business? Yeah, so I didn't have a particular cookie. Since we were the house that it was at, we always did like the classic ones to get them out the way so that like no one (laughs) would bring them basically. (laughs) So like chocolate chip, oatmeal raisin, that kind of stuff. After I moved out of my parents' house, I would do salted caramel. The salted caramel, like it would have like the kisses with caramel in it but I kept failing at them so I would just like you know go back to the (laughs) basics but now I kind of mastered my craft a little bit more but yeah (laughs) so okay so before you started Nina's Cookie Explosion did you work in any other industries before then have any other sort of careers yeah I actually still have a full-time job right now while working Nina's Cookie Explosion So in college, I majored in management and marketing. So I've kind of always stayed in that kind of field, marketing, management kind of field. So right now I work in market research slash like project management. Previously, I worked as a leasing consultant in a property management. So I was sales there as well. What's that balance like having a full-time job plus having your own business on the side? It it's a lot (laughs) as you can imagine especially like if one gets busy so if my full-time job gets busy or if Nina's cookie explosion gets busy it can get overwhelming if they're both busy then I'm going a little bit crazy (laughs) but yeah it's it's a lot to balance yeah I guess you have to do kind of evenings weekends are dedicated to Nina's cookie explosion is that how it works yeah for the most part I kind of changed my work schedule so I would get off a little bit earlier instead of five. It's like four, but you don't even know like that extra hour just gives me so much more time. But 
yeah, it's mostly like evenings, weekends, and then sometimes if I have like a big event or something like that, I'll just use my PTO. Right, great. So how did you get the idea for Nina's cookie explosion? Do you remember like what you were doing or at the moment when you first thought that you should start a business and did you know that your focus would be cookies right away or were you kind of kicking around some different ideas? Yeah, I think this kind of comes in two folds. So I always had the idea ever since I was a kid at those cookie parties, even before we were trying to make like the most creative cookie and stuff like that. I just realized that when you have a base for a dough, you can really make any cookie that you want. You can put whatever you want in it. So I always had the idea of starting Nina's Cookie Explosion, but I was kind of waiting for, in quotes, the right time, which I realized is there's never like a right time. (laughs) But yeah, I was just kind of waiting like, oh, when I get older, when I'm out of college, all this stuff. So when the pandemic started in 2020, my full-time job became part-time. So I was working 40 hours a week and it quickly became 20. So I was trying to figure out how to fill in that like extra time that I had on my hands, kind of figure out how to fill like that void when you just have like nothing to do and you're just sitting there. And I was baking a lot. Like I just started baking again and I stopped baking when I was in like college and doing things like that. So I started baking again when the pandemic started and I would bake like dozens and dozens of cookies. And I was like, I cannot eat all of these or leave them in my house. So I would kind of deliver them to my friends kind of like a no contact since it was the pandemic and give them the cookies that way. And I was like, I could start this business now if I wanted to. So yeah, that's, that's basically how it started. First, I was just giving them away. And I was like, I think it's just time to start the actual business and and get that going. Yeah. So what were you, I know you have the background in marketing and, and business anyway, what were the first steps to actually getting the business off of the ground? Like, where did you start? So I was lucky enough to have a friend who is a business owner and I was even luckier that she was in the food and beverage industry. So the first thing I did when I was like, I think I want to start this business, I reached out to her and she was nice enough to sit me down for like an hour or two the first time we met and just spew all the information (laughs) that she has about having a business, especially in the food and beverage industry and giving me kind of like the information I need to start. So I think I had the idea like popped in my head, I should start this business in July of 2020. So I kind of spent the rest of the summer getting everything together, getting the menu together, everything I thought I needed at the time, the website, all of that stuff. And I just launched in that September. So it took me like a couple months to just get everything together. Yeah. How did you how did you decide that you were going to offer customization of cookies? So it looks like people can pick the dough and then they pick what they want mixed in and they can have the dough delivered or the actual cookies already baked delivered. Is that right? Yeah. That was kind of the framework I always thought of when I was thinking about it when I was a kid. Since I did realize that you can have a base dough and put whatever you want into it. So kind of those creations, those specialty doughs is something I came up with right before my business versus like the customization was always just the first thought I had when I thought of my cookie business. So the customization was 
kind of the thing. Like, that's what I went into this doing. I slowly learned the more I was doing it that people loved the specialty doughs. So I don't really see too often people customizing as much as I thought I was going to. It's more people buying the specialty doughs, the doughs of the month, and things like that. Because as amazing idea, and I will always keep the idea of customizing doughs, I think that people want guidance sometimes on like what will work. <laughs> so yeah, I see more people buying the specialty doughs than the actual customizing. So I want to take a minute and tell you a little bit about Nina's menu of offerings, the cookies that she offers. First, if you're listening from outside of Baltimore, Nina does ship nationwide. She does also deliver within the 25-mile radius of Baltimore City, and you can find her products at several markets throughout the year, and I'll talk more about that at the end. But let's talk about her menu. She was just talking about customizing cookies and how she finds that people gravitate more toward the specialty cookies where the combinations are already created for them. But I think customizing cookies is kind of cool and fun, so I wanted to share just a little bit more about it, and then I'll talk about the specialty cookies. First, customization is for Baltimore area customers only, and I grabbed all of this information from Nina's website. You can go on Nina's website, you pick your own dough. There's several options. There's an OG dough, as well as oatmeal, chocolate, sugar, vegan, and gluten-free doughs. And then you pick your mix-ins. I counted 21 options for mix-ins. There's three kinds of chocolate chips, as well as butterscotch chips and dairy-free chocolate chips. There's graham crackers and marshmallows. Sounds like a s'mores cookie you could maybe create. There's sprinkles, potato chips, raisins, several candy options like Twix, M&M's, Milky Way, Reese's, and so many more. So you can really create a very filled, stuffed cookie with lots of fun mix-ins customized to what you like, to your favorite things. And Nina will deliver them if you're in Baltimore for no extra charge. And then there are the cookies that Nina has already created, the specialty cookies. And as she said, she has found that this has been the more popular option for her customers. I'll give you two examples of specialty cookies. There's the birthday cookie, which is a sugar dough with sprinkles, chocolate chips, white chocolate chips, and marshmallows. And then there's the Nina's Cookie Explosion, the namesake, which is a sugar dough with chocolate chips, Twix, and potato chips. Right now for the holidays, you can buy cookies in the jar, as I mentioned earlier. And Nina also has a dough of the month every month, and she donates 10% of the sales from that dough to a nonprofit. Right now in November, the dough of the month is Snickerdoodle, and the nonprofit she is donating to is the Tiana Foundation, which focuses on raising awareness and generating funds for breast cancer research, education, treatment, and patient care. So let's shift into talking about Nina's challenges and her successes and proud accomplishments. And as you can probably guess from the introduction, as someone with a full-time job, a business, and until recently a class schedule as she completed her degree, one of Nina's biggest challenges has involved structuring her time. I would probably say my biggest challenge would be like my time management and self-care. So since I do have that full-time job and Nina's Cookie Explosion, and it's kind of like growing faster than I thought it would. It's a juggling act, as you can imagine. During the pandemic, I decided to go to school as well. So, wow. yeah, I went to go get my, I always wanted to learn sign language, so I decided to go learn it. <laughs> so I just graduated in May. So it was kind of a juggling act between the three. 
And since I was the sole owner, and at the time when I was in school, I was the only employee, I felt like everything was kind of like on me and that I needed to do everything. And I really struggled with like asking for help from people. But like, I'm grateful to have family and friends that support me so much. And once I started asking them for help on things that I know that they could help me with, I kind of felt the weight of the company kind of get off my shoulders a little bit and like lean on people a little bit more. I realized how much of a community I have behind me. I also just try, I've learned this, I have to carve out kind of at least one day a week for self-care, relaxing, kind of like a day of no work at all. But if I can't get a full day, at least getting like a few hours. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And congratulations on your graduation. I love that you wanted to learn sign language and you just went and did it, though I'm sure that was and really required a lot of time management and balancing skills when you had three things going on at once. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. What about your what accomplishments are you most proud of as a business owner? I would say my most proud accomplishment is kind of one that was earlier in the business. I would probably say the proudest was my first time being on the news. So WJZ shared one of my Instagram posts, which really, at the time, it like launched my business. So it was something that Especially at that moment, I was like, my marketing's not working. My social media is not working. It was kind of like slow and steady, kind of like gaining customers and followers and all of that stuff. So once I saw that, like I saw that like the news noticed me and showed me on the news, it was like kind of the organic exposure was like amazing to see. So that's probably my proudest accomplishment was when that happened, because after that, I think it really just took off. Wow. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, it sounds like good timing too, because I feel like that kind of thing where you're thinking, I identify with that completely. My social media isn't working. I don't know if I'm reaching the right people. And then to just have somebody come in and see what you're offering and share that and to have things take off. That's amazing. Did you get interviewed as well? I did, but it wasn't until it was last year at some time. I can't remember which month. (laughs) I was on there a few times. So December 2020 was the first time they shared my post like maybe three or four more times after that. And I got interviewed as well, but it was virtual. That's amazing. So it sounds like was that was the really the turning point where you maybe started to feel successful, would you say? And how do you define success? Because that can be different for everybody. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a loaded question for me because I feel like sometimes I, most of the time, I feel successful, but there's definitely some times where I'm just like, I'm not successful yet. I think success is like kind of hitting your goals. So when I think about most of my goals, like getting that exposure, my sales goals, donating to the community, having my brand name out there, like I've hit them. But I guess my main goal is kind of to get off of that full-time job. So when I think about that, it's like, okay, I'm not there yet. So I think it's just the day that it is and the way I want to frame it, if I feel successful or not. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything you wish that you knew when you started your business? I think there's kind of two things I wish I knew. (laughs) And one is like, one I still struggle with is I wish I knew to trust my gut. Because every time I feel like it was hindsight that it was 
the wrong decision, in quotes, it was always me not trusting my gut or seeking an answer from someone else. So it's like, I know my business the best and I know where I want it to go. I know it's where it's been. So it's just like trusting my gut on that. And I also wish I knew how much time and work this would take. You know, you know, it's going to be a lot when you start, but you don't really get it until you're in it. (laughs) So like how much work it took to get here. And I still underestimate how much work it's going to take to get where I'm going to be next year or the year after. So you don't really get it until like you're in it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You never know entirely what's involved until you start doing it. I completely agree with that. Okay. I threw a question in based on a YouTube video that I was watching earlier this week. It was a woman who has a flower farm, a family flower farm, and she goes to farmer's markets. Her name is Naturally Brittany. And she was talking about how much is involved with markets, like packing everything up at home, the setup, the commute, the cleanup afterwards, all of that in addition to the market hours and how they can be really long days. And I know you're involved in a few markets. So I was wondering what it was like for you to get prepared for them and why you think they are an important aspect of your business. Yeah, markets are a lot of work, (laughs) but they're a lot of fun. So it's always worth it. When I think about kind of my schedule, I get off at 4 p.m. on a Friday and I go straight to the kitchen. Like I, I do not waste a second. I go straight to the kitchen. It's 20 minutes away. And I bake, depending on how many markets I do, because sometimes I do two at a time. Sometimes I'm there, the latest I've been there is like 3 a.m. But for the most part, I'm I'm usually out of there before midnight, maybe 11 o'clock. Sometimes if I'm really lucky, 10 o'clock. So baking, getting back home, going to bed, waking up at 6 a.m., driving to the market, and then having that market day. My breakdown isn't too bad probably takes me half an hour to get out of the market after. Then you have to do your finances and clean out your display and all that stuff. So that probably takes another hour. So it's a lot of work. It's probably, if you really want to add it together, like a full day and a half of your weekend. But I think they're really important because that's how you get your customers. That's how you get your product in your customer space, basically. So... I've gained a customer base from my markets. I have regulars from my markets. I get online sales from people that have seen me at markets. In addition to getting that exposure that I got organically through the news or articles or anything like that, like a very close second of the way I got my customer base was through the markets. So that's why I keep doing them. I also just love meeting people. Like I, I love meeting the customers and I love meeting the businesses. And I think it's just so worth it to actually meet the customers face to face and like gain that rapport as well. Yeah. Is that how you get, because the, the reason I found you is because I have one of your cookies at Coba Cafe. Are markets how you get connected to businesses like that? How do you make those sort of connections? So for the most part, when I do like collaborations, it's usually like kind of organic relationship, like meeting them at the market or they're at the kitchen with me or something like that. Koba was a little bit different. I kind of had to hunt him down. So one day I just got a bunch of samples and went to every cafe that I could think of in Baltimore. It's actually funny because I had a list of like 20 of them and I passed by Koba Cafe and it was super busy and I was 
like scared to do it and I like drove away. And then I was like, no, I need to go back. I need to go back. So <laughs> I, I went back and that was actually the one that I got because you're going to give out your product to 30 people and one person's going to call you back. So yeah, that's, a, that's how I did it. I basically just gave my samples away. He gave me a call and we discussed it. And I think I've been serving there since it's been about a year, like July, 2021. Wow. So I want to ask something off of, off of something you just said about mindset, because you said that you'll visit with 30 businesses and you'll hear back from one of them, right? Which is did it take you a while to get comfortable with those kind of numbers? Because I experience that too sometimes in podcasting. You reach out to a lot of people and in writing too, because I'm a writer. You reach out to a lot of people and you only hear back from a small number of the people that you reach out to sometimes. And that can be challenging the feelings that come with that. Did it take you a while to get comfortable with that? Or do you find that you handle that pretty well? Uh, I would probably say I'm still not comfortable with it. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I I don't I don't take rejection well. If I'm being honest, just me as a person. So it is tough when you don't hear back from people, but it gives you even if you do not hear back from them, it gives you a lot of feedback because you kind of figure out okay, this way I was doing it wasn't working. I got to try a different way, and then you kind of see like the way that you do something if more people respond to it, okay, maybe I need to go this direction. So it's kind of learning from rejection or mistakes or failures and growing from them instead of taking it super personally, which I'm still working on. I'm only human. So <laughs> like, stop taking them personally and start learning from them. So it's just something that I'm still learning. And I have learned over the past couple of years. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. And I think we all are working on dealing better with rejection. Yeah. That's, that's not an odd thing at all, I don't think. That's a challenge everybody struggles with. So what does a typical week look like for you? It sounds like you have your own kitchen that you go to, and that's where you bake. And do you start at four o'clock every day, except for the one day that you've dedicated for sort of kind of like a mental health day, self-care day? So it kind of depends on the week. I would say for the most part, I do markets on Tuesdays and Saturdays. That's just the way it falls. Sometimes I do markets on Thursdays. So let's just talk about a typical week. I would bake at four o'clock on Mondays, go to the market on Tuesday. Wednesday, I usually kind of take as like, I wouldn't say a personal day, but getting my personal errands done, like, you know, cleaning the house, like cooking for the week, like that kind of stuff. Thursday, I focus on a lot of business things like finances for the week, logistics for the weekend, all of that stuff. Friday is my long baking night. Saturday mornings, we have the market and then I try to enjoy the rest of the weekend, like that Saturday evening and Sunday. Ooh, sounds like a crazy schedule for sure. Any advice for other entrepreneurs or business owners? Yeah, I think I have two pieces of advice depending on like what stage you're at so like if you haven't started yet I would just start now there's gonna be no perfect time this is the same advice that my my friend gave me but I cannot thank her enough for it because I think I would have procrastinated so much if, if she did not just say that to me but there's no perfect time you'll never ever ever have all the answers I've adjusted my business so much since I started two years ago so like when you start, you're probably going to be adjusting weekly, if not daily or every other day. 
So just getting started is the first step. My other piece of advice, if you already started, is to be adaptable and flexible. And we all saw it with the pandemic, like anything can happen. And it could be in the blink of an eye, like it could just be like, one day you're doing something and tomorrow it's not working anymore. And there's countless times that that happened to me. So that something was working or I realized that like one change is going to make something way more successful. So just being able to pivot and like not being rigid on anything except, you know, your morals, but, you know, not being rigid on anything else and just being flexible. What are some of the adjustments or changes that you've made along the way? Yeah, I think I realized that, I mean, one thing that we we already discussed, like I realized that the customizing isn't kind of the focal point of my business. It's more of the specialties and the dough of the months. So that was a big thing, like realizing that's why I need to focus marketing on is one thing that I realized I need to change. I wanted this business to just be online. Like I wanted it to be online sales. I did not want to put any more work in than that. But I realized that I have to, <laughs> to, to make it work. So like kind of pivoting to more of a, I would say that my business is market focused more than it is the online sales. So like switching to market focus was a huge change that I had to make, but it's made my business so much better than just trying to focus on the online sales. And this year I'm lucky enough, I'm grateful enough to have a couple employees so they can work the markets while I do deliveries. Yeah. What was that like making the the shift to hiring employees? And how did you know that you were at the point where you were ready for that? I can't tell you the point I think I was ready for. I'm not sure. I just think I realized that I wanted to do more markets. And the only way I could do it is if I had more people. So, so I guess that's what I realized, that I needed just some people under my belt. I realized that it was taking me hours, hours and hours to get baking done. I was like, a baking assistant would help me so much. So I don't know. It's just realizing that you have too much on your plate. And like, as much as I said, like your friends and family can help you and they want to help you, they have their own lives as well. So it's kind of having that person that's committed to actually doing the job that you're paying that's like going there to help you. Like that's their purpose. It was just realizing that and I've been so grateful that I have great employees. I haven't had any mishaps quite yet. They're just making my life a lot smoother. And that's how I knew I made the right decision to start hiring people. So I really want to thank Nina Ross from Nina's Cookie Explosion for being on the show today. I really enjoyed hearing her story. Before I talk about the takeaways from today's episode, though, let me mention where you can find Nina and Nina's Cookie Explosion. As I said, Nina ships her cookies nationwide. She delivers within a 25-mile radius of Baltimore City, and you can find her at various farmer's markets. She posts where she is going to be for the upcoming weekend every week on her Instagram page, which I will link in the show notes. A few examples of markets, she seems to be at the Saturday morning market at the BMI, the Baltimore Museum of Industry, a good bit. She goes to the 32nd Street Farmer's Market and the Maple Lawn Farmer's Market some weeks. And again, her Instagram is is the best place to go to find that upcoming schedule if you want to meet Nina and try her amazing products at a market. So let's get into the takeaways from today's episode. So you probably could tell from my questions that I thought customization was a big part of Nina's business, that this was the backbone of it. And it sounds like Nina thought it was going to be a big thing too, but she has found that her customers like to buy the cookies that she has already 
sort of designed, if you will, right? That she's already created. And the takeaway here, I think, is that you can have a plan for your business or your work. And I think a plan is a good thing, but sometimes customers just take you in a different direction. This reminded me of Teresa Cangiolosi's story from So Botanical. She's in episode 20. So Botanical has been very focused on essential oils and aromatherapy for years. And Teresa was bringing in products from other small businesses that fit with her brand. She offers a lot of skincare products, body care products, and she was bringing in products that were natural, that had quality ingredients. And then she was also making her own products. And she found that customers wanted the products that she was making. And it sounds like Nina is seeing the same thing, which I think is interesting. I mean, it makes sense, right? Your customers guide you in the direction that they want you to go in. And then there are two other things I'm thinking about from this episode. One is the importance of hiring help. I know this has come up before on this podcast, but how do small businesses know when to make this shift? And it seems like it's just a feeling, uh, you know, it was for Nina maybe. And as she said, having help can really help you grow faster. She realized she was spending all her time baking. And then if she had a baking assistant to help with that, she could free up her time to do so many more things. And I actually think about this with podcasting all the time, right? Like, what if I had help with editing? Maybe it wouldn't take me three months to turn around an episode. So, I mean, it's a little bit different because podcasting is is not a money-making business for me right now. But if you have an actual small business and, you know, getting help can be a good investment. Maybe you could even argue it could be the most important investment you could make in your small business's growth. And then the last takeaway is what a profound impact someone can have on a small business by helping them get exposure. Nina mentioned that she felt like a turning point for her business was when a media outlet covered her story and her product and then things shifted. I don't think you need to be a media outlet, though that probably helps reach even more people more quickly. You can just be a regular person who's sharing online about the businesses you love, and that can make a difference in and of itself. You see on Instagram all the time, people post the graphics where there's different ways that you can support a small business and sharing about their work and about what they do is one way that you can do that. So as we head into Small Business Saturday, if you decide to share your favorite small businesses online, please tag me at We Built This Life. I would love to see what you're sharing. And as you heard, having this kind of exposure made a really big difference for Nina. Okay, thank you so much again to Nina Ross for her time. Thank you to you for listening today. I want to share an ambitious goal with you. I have three podcasts that are recorded that I would love to get out by the end of the year. And I've told the people who I interviewed that I would have their episode together sooner than I have actually had it together. And I hate that I'm late. So I I really want to get these episodes out for them and for the holiday season. And so you can listen to them. So I'm sharing that goal. It's, It's a goal. It's not a definitive, but stay tuned here because just maybe there might be a nice chunk of episodes coming out in the next month and a half. And I'll just end here by saying that I am so grateful to you for listening today. Thanksgiving is coming up. Truly, I am grateful for everyone who takes the time to tune into this podcast, everyone who takes the time to tell me that they are listening. That means so much. So thank you and have a great day and I'll see you soon. 
Thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.